Good evening. Good to have you guys here tonight. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you want, you can turn there. If you need a Bible, there's a couple on the small table over there. Did you guys have a great Easter? Hope you enjoyed it. Had a great time with everyone Sunday. Let's pray once again before we get started here tonight. Father, we thank you for an opportunity that we can gather in the name of your Son and open up the Scriptures and allow you to speak to our hearts. Father, that you would reveal the things that are timeless to us, that we would learn from them and grow because of them, that we would leave this place changed because of time spent with you. And we thank you for this time that you have made yourself available to us, Lord, as we open your word and we gather in your name. Bless, we pray, for it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Okay. Last week, we had a great story about how David spared Saul's life. Saul had wandered into the cave where David and his men were hiding Saul chasing after David to kill him. And here's the opportunity where David's men says, this is it, God has given him into your hands. All you have to do is go out there, slay him, and it'll be done, it'll be over. And David rebukes them. He says, I can't do that. And he cuts off the part of his cloak, which represents his kingship, his authority, And even that grieves David. It's like, how could I do this against God's anointed? And then after Saul leaves the cape, David comes out there and he bows himself down. And it's just an emotional scene as he says, what have I done? I could have killed you, but I haven't. See, I hold your cloak in my hand. And then Saul cries and says, is that you, David, my son? I've been wrong. But they go their own way. Saul leaves David, and David continues being a fugitive. And he doesn't stop chasing David, but we have a a little break, a little reprieve here in chapter 25. And this is a, a wonderful story. Again, there's so much here that's just so telling of human nature in so many ways. And so we'll go through it. In chapter 25, we'll start at verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. Short verse, but it's interesting. This book began with Samuel. Remember, Eli the priest encountered Hannah, And Hannah was praying, God, give me a child. If you give me a man child, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. And Eli thought she was drunk. And she says, I'm not drunk. I'm just crying out to God. And Eli tells her, well, God's heard you. Samuel is born and and dedicated to the Lord and becomes one of the prophets here. In fact, the last prophet before the kings start the last judge and prophet. And so even though it's one verse, this is uh, an emotional time. The whole nation mourns. Think about this too. David and Samuel were very close. Samuel anointed David when he was just a young boy for telling what was going to become of him. But the odds are that David was not able to be a part of this service. 
because Saul was after him. And so the one who was probably one of the closest to Samuel could not be there because of the circumstances. But here is a monumental event that takes place in just one verse. And then the story continues in verse 2. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. What a contrast, right? She's attractive and beautiful. He's surly and mean. There's a lot that could be said there, right? Ladies, you could say, yes, we could say a lot there, but we won't. Verse 4, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask you, ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servant and your son David whatever you can find for them. And so what's taking place here is, remember, David has got 600 men at this time. And they're out wandering. They're basically nomads, kind of traveling, hiding in caves, living in different places. But what they also did was protect the shepherds from people who would come in and steal their sheep, whether it be Philistines or other people. And so David and his men were basically protection for this man, Nabal, at this time. And as he says there, it's sheep shearing time. This is a time of festivity. This is a time, it's like Thanksgiving. Oh boy, it's sheep shearing time. This is a time of prosperity because they're going to get money for the wool. It's a time where they celebrate this end of the season, I guess you would, when the sheep get their full coats. And so this is a time of celebration. And so David goes, sends his men to Nabal and says, hey, listen, we've been guarding you guys for this time. Ask your own servants. You haven't lost a single sheep while we've been here. That's worth something to you. Our protection has been there. So whatever you can give us, it would be appreciated. And so David is sending out this request. Seems harmless. Seems innocent enough. In verse 9, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. And then the response Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? I've got to change my voice because it just changes here. He's a surly and mean man. Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. 
Here is David's, I mean, Nabal's response to David's men. And to understand what's taking place, who is this son of Jesse? Let me ask you, do you think you've been going through this book with us? Do you think that Nabal really didn't know who David was? You think he knew? Right? Well, and we kind of know that he knew because he calls him the son of Jesse. Right? Remember, Saul called David the son of Jesse back in chapter 22. And it was an insult because Jesse wasn't of noble birth. And so when he was rebuking the people, the son of Jesse, who is he? He didn't even call him by his name. He called him the son of Jesse. And so he knows from what family he's coming from. He says, who is this son of Jesse? So he knows about David, which means he probably knows what's going on, right? Saul is on one side. David is on the other side. Saul is trying to kill David, the son of Jesse. I'm sure news is going about. Saul has killed the priests. There is this confrontation that's taking place. And so you've got basically kind of two camps here. Saul's is much larger. But here's this David, son of Jesse. And so he knows who he is and he shows him no credit. What would you do if you were treated this way? By David, or by Nabal, if you were David. When you've been working for someone, basically, it's in a roundabout way, but you've been protecting someone and their property, and then the person doesn't pay you. How would you react? Would you just withdraw the protection and leave? It's going to be interesting to see David's response, especially after David's response to Saul and his injustice towards David. And now we have this other man, Nabal. Remember, David was completely compassionate to Saul. He was patient. He was long-suffering. But now something changes. Something snaps. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. Verse 12. Or 11. Again, why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David, verse 13, said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. That's David's response. Get your swords, guys. We're going to take care of it. Verse 14. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife. Remember, this is the smart, pretty one. David sent messages from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Son of Jesse, who do you think you are, you wanderer? What will I take of you? He hurled insults at him. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. 
Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. So they were an obvious presence. The servant says, it was great having them there. Man, we appreciated them. They never took anything from us. In fact, they were a wall around us. Isn't it interesting how the servant, the the slave, the one who was not of importance, had more awareness than the master. That the one who had all the authority was high-minded, was surly, was mean. And just the servant said, oh gosh, this isn't good. This is a bad thing that's going to happen. And has the good sense to say, Abigail, you've got to do something because this is not going to end well. Now, why would he say that? Why would he think that this was not going to end well? What kind of men did David have with him? Yeah, what did it say about them? What were some of the characteristics? They were outcasts, they were in debt, and they were disgruntled. Okay, so here are these burly, disgruntled, in-debt, outcast men, and you hurl insults at them. The servants probably had interaction with them at times out in the field. And they don't mess with these guys. Okay, these guys are like the hell's angels of shepherd Israel things. You know, I mean, they've got the leather jackets, you know, and they just, they're not the guys you want to mess with. And so he knows that. He goes to Abigail and says, oh my gosh, what's just happened here? This is not good. And so in verse, what verse am I at? 17. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. In other words, me too. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. I underline that verse because oh, how telling that is. He is such a wicked person. How wicked is he? No one can talk to him. When you think of wickedness, what do you think of? You know, a person harming other people. Here's a description of wickedness. No one can talk to him. How many fathers have that reputation? Oh, you can't talk to my dad. No one can talk to him. How many bosses have that reputation? Oh, no one can talk to him. And this is equated as just a wickedness. What what he's saying is this person is closed to any input. And that is contributed or attributed as a sign of wickedness. Isn't that telling? No one can talk to him. When you find yourself in a place where no one can talk to you, you're so irate, you're so upset, you're so blinded with rage, you're so puffed up with pride and thinking you know it all, remind yourself of this verse. So wicked that no one can talk to him. If you can't be approached, if someone can't speak into your life, it's a sign of wickedness. It really is. It's a terrible thing. And so... It's important that we see this as it's being described here. As the servant sees Nabal, he's wicked. No one can talk to him. 
And this is important because even as some commentaries that I've read later on go and say, well, the servant should have went to Nabal, but here's why they didn't. Because he's a wicked man. No one can talk to him. No one can talk to this guy. It wasn't going to end well. If he would talk to David's men like this, he probably showed his servants even less respect. Okay. So Abigail acted quickly. This is some woman. Okay. She is on the ball. Why? She's intelligent. She's got it all. She's got the brains, the beauty. She's got it all. She's acting quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five whatever those are, says, and roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. This shows how much they had. She put this together really quick. Okay, you ladies know when you get Thanksgiving dinner together, you know, it's an all-day thing. You have the family come over the night before, and you start doing the pies and all the different things that you do. I don't know what you do. It's just magic in there. I just look at it. Oh, it's magic taking place in there. <laughs> Leave them alone. <laughs> Let them do their magic. It'll show up tomorrow night for dinner. And, and so they're doing all these things to get it, and she's got all this, and she goes, quick, get these things together, and she loads them up, and she doesn't tell her husband. Let me ask you, do you think it was wise of her not to tell her husband? Yeah? You don't think she was being disobedient and going behind his back? She's, we're going to see, she's actually saving his life. Okay? If she would have went to her husband, do you think he would have let her go? No. No, he's a wicked man. No one could talk to him. Surly and mean. That's Nabal. And so, here we go. She takes all this and doesn't tell her husband. Verse 20, as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David. Be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. He's a little upset, right? <laughs> Have you ever noticed throughout scripture there are these events that take place where it seems so out of character from what we've known of the person? Last chapter, David was the most patient, kind-hearted guy there was. In this, pa- this chapter, it changes. And, and some people can look at that and say, oh gosh, this, you know, why wouldn't David just, you know, why would he do this? He's being terrible. Remember, David is living as a fugitive. And we've talked about it for years. He's being accused falsely. He's being dealt with unjustly. Now people are calling him son of Jesse. Who are you? I'm the one who killed tens of thousands for the nation. I'm the one who slew Goliath. I'm the one who was anointed by Samuel the prophet to be king. And I'm being treated like scum. And at some point, he snaps. He snaps. 
he breaks. It reminds me of Noah. After the flood, it says that he went out and grew a vineyard and then he got drunk. And you think, Noah, why would you get drunk? You heard from God. You saved humanity. I also just saw the world exterminated. Think that would play on your mind? That no one but me and my family made it. And how many countless people perished that I knew and that I saw. You think that wouldn't play on your mind? You think that wouldn't haunt you? You think David and what's been happening with him and Saul didn't wear on him? A lot of times when difficulty comes into our lives, when we are being accused, when judgment takes place of some kind, we will stand back and wonder, did I do the right thing? Was I okay to to make that decision? Did I make the wrong decision? Because when that judgment comes, now I'm the one responsible for it. Should I have done this? Or should I have done something else? I I can recall a time in my life when the circumstances were difficult. And I remember I I felt like I I wasn't treated justly. This was wrong. But then as time goes by, I start thinking, did I do the right thing? Maybe I did something that caused this treatment. I had to ask a friend of mine who knew the situation, did I do something wrong? Because after a while, I just didn't know. And he said, you didn't do anything wrong. This is what happened. And it was comforting to have someone else tell me because I started to feel almost ashamed. Like maybe I'm the cause of of this problem that's now growing. And this book that I'm reading, The Daring Greatly, Brene Brown talks about shame, especially in men. And she says that what men do when they encounter shame is usually one of two things. They either react in rage or they shut down. And I thought, oh gosh, that's telling. And so here is David just reacting in rage. Enough. I'll show you the son of Jesse. We're not going to let any man live who is there in Nabal's household. In fact, God hold, man, God have mercy if there's any man living. So this is the intensity that David is coming down with. And this is what Abigail is coming up against in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly, notice how many times that word quickly is being used. She quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal and let this gift 
which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. This woman is shrewd. She is smart. No one else could have done this. No one else, maybe Nabal, but he wasn't going to. He's a mean, surly guy. He's not, as she says, intelligent. His name means fool. That's what the word Nabal means. And so she says, as his name is, so is he. He, He's foolish. She is the only one, and she saves the entire household because she humbles herself, even though she didn't do anything wrong. How hard is that? To say you're sorry when it wasn't your fault. Anyone else have a hard time with that? I'm so sorry for my husband. (laughs) I'll just leave it there. I can't say it. It doesn't go the other way around. All I can do is, yeah, I'm sorry for me too. She humbles herself. And the way she reacts is great. Pardon your servant. She's talking about herself. Pardon me. Forgive me for what Nabal has done. Not only does she say, forgive me, but she brings this gift that was left out. I imagine when David went down and asked for the food, they needed food. He's got 600 guys. They're living about. They've been protecting this guy at his flock. He's feasting. Go get a little bit from him so we can have something to eat. He says, forget you, son of Jesse. And he just thought, okay, we'll, we'll get our food. And so she brings the gift, and it seems like quite a bit to throw together in one little time. I mean, she, she got everything she could. She probably cleared the kitchen out as much as she could and took it up there. And so... She comes before him, and then she also pleads with him to not avenge with his own hands. And that's important because she say, may your enemies and all who are intent in harming the Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which the servant has brought to you, my Lord, be given to the men who followed you. Verse 28, please forgive your servant's presumption. Again, she's speaking of herself. The Lord, your God, will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battle. Oh, this, this lady's good. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. You fight God's battle. And we don't want anything wrong to be found in you because you are fighting for the Lord. So she's appealing to him and his relationship with God. Because you're fighting the battle, we don't want anything to be found in you as you fight the Lord's battle. Verse 29, even though someone is pursuing you, which is Saul, to take your life, so she knew about it, no doubt Nabal did too, everyone did, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. In other words, God is going to hold you in his cradle. He is going to continue to secure you in the life that he gives. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. A sling. Does that ring any bells? David's first battle? Oh, that sling. 
She's using everything. Man, she is quick. She goes back to, remember that sling battle? The Lord's going to do the same thing with anyone who's against you. She is lifting this guy up. I remember who you are. I know God is with you. She's smart. Verse 30. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. So she's now saying, I know you're going to be the king. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. When you are king, you don't want to have this stain on your account when you got upset and killed these people. You don't want that on your record because you're going to be higher than that. And what's happening is she is holding David's future and putting it before his eyes and saying, I know you're going to be this. You don't want this on your conscience when you become this. And I think that is such an amazing thing to be able to do to someone. To be able to hold someone's future in front of them and say, when you become this, someone of great renown, when you become someone who's prominent, I know you are this. Don't succumb to this. What a great philosophy of life. Even to share with our children, you are going to be a great person someday. Don't succumb to being less. Because this is what I see is your future. Will you settle and have this on your conscience? Don't be less than who you really are. Oh, it's beautiful. It's powerful. And she does it so gracefully. I mean, she just, she should run for office. I mean, she's amazing. And then she says, and remember me, which is curious. So in case you in case you kill my husband, remember me. <laughs> David said to Abigail, "Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day, and for for avenging myself with my own hands." What does the scriptures tell us about vengeance? Is mine, says the Lord. David, I was going to go get vengeance with my own hands, but he knows. Thanks for stopping me. This woman is responsible for saving the lives of all the men in her household. She's responsible for stopping David from this act of bloodshed. Her action caused about some serious consequences for the good because she stepped up and acted quickly. What if she said, oh, that was stupid, Nabal. Tomorrow I'm going to think about it, see what can happen. It would have been all over. She reacted quickly. Sometimes that's our failure, is we hesitate. 
When something is pressing upon us to act, instead of acting, we hesitate. We don't step into it. We just, well, I don't know. And, and you guys have been there. Something happens. You hear of something. Oh, so-and-so, this befell them. They're in the hospital. Uh, I wonder if I should give them a call. I will. First, I've got to get some coffee. First, I gotta go, I'm going to go take care of this. I wonder if I should go visit so-and-so. I wonder if I should do this. Uh, I will maybe later. And we put it off. And once we put it off, it becomes easier to put off. In fact, it's hard to step into those things. Because what will they say? I don't know what to say. Someone who goes through something, I mean, even recently, someone, you know, I think uh, uh, Peggy who lost her son. Um, I think of how do you approach that? And it can be a fearful thing to, to step into that conversation. Ah, uh, uh, what can I say? I don't know what to say. But maybe you just stepping in and acting quickly and saying, hey, I just... I'm so sorry, I'm praying for you, will be what's needed at that time to bring hope and comfort. And not being afraid, but acting quickly. And Abigail did that. She spared the life of this household and so much more. Verse 34, Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. She acted quickly, and it was a good thing she did. Verse 35, Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Man, all these servants are very thankful. And get this, okay, this intense situation. Remember, 400 men with swords are coming down. Here's this little band of women with some donkeys that stop them, okay? You can imagine all these ladies are just like, oh, my gosh, this isn't good. This isn't good, (laughs) you know? Oh, please listen to Abigail, please. And David turns, and there goes 400 men. You could hear the horse, you know, this thundering of hooves underneath going away. And all of a sudden they go back, this little band of women. Oh, that was so close. We could all die. She goes back, and when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So he had this, oh my gosh, and he had a heart attack or some kind of stroke maybe, something hit him, like, oh, you almost died. And I'd love to have heard that conversation. How did she say that? Oh, by the way, or she, you fool. You surly, mean man. I don't know how she said it. I just, I can imagine with what she just encountered. Oh, by the way, 400 of David's men came here to slaughter you while you were in your drunken stupor. I don't know why I keep throwing this meanness about it, but it's just like something struck Nabal where he said, oh my gosh, I could have died. And then he did. He's dead. Now here's David's response. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. So God, you did bring justice. 
He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Thank you, God, for bringing justice. Hey, Abigail, what are you doing? (laughs) You're smart and beautiful. I I think I'll, I'll take you. I love it. It's great. And what I love even and more about this, his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and I am ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servant. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended her five female servants and went to David's messengers and became his wife. She didn't hesitate either. She quickly responded, okay, Nabal was even cold, you know, it's just like, yeah, okay, take care of him, I'm gone, you know, see you guys later. Um, Interesting change of events. Now, this could be such a a romantic thing in so many ways, but, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot else going on here, of course, but... David saw Abigail, and again, it tells us that she was attractive, but he also saw that this woman was very wise and pleaded for the life of her household. That she was gracious as well as smart and beautiful, and so it didn't take long for him to think, yeah, I'd like her. And so we see David's band growing. You know, it's events like this. No doubt, I mean, got the female servants. Who knows how many more are going to start coming along with David at this point. Um, He's gaining gaining momentum with him. And so she goes, becomes his wife. Verse 43, David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. Okay, that kind of throws a damper in things. Oh, it could have been so romantic, David. Why did you have to do that? And then remember verse 43, David had also married, or verse 44, but Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Pelatiel, son of Laish, who was from Galim. So we remember that David won Michal's hand in marriage by his act. Saul had done that hoping to kill David, but now Saul had taken his wife and given him away, given her away to someone else. And so... There's a lot that's going on emotionally in in David here, but he does take Abigail, but he has another wife, and it seems like he already had this wife, Ahinoam of Jezreel, but he liked Abigail, and so he took her as well. Um, And he was going to take many more wives after this, especially when he becomes king. It's not a good thing, um, but it's something that's true that happened, and that's how the scriptures account for it. So... Looking back at this, what stands out to you guys in this chapter? Are there any things that impress you the most or questions that you might have regarding this chapter? And he definitely showed Saul the appreciation just being a king, recognizing that God put him into that place. Yeah, but he doesn't appreciate Nabal much at all. Yeah, or again, the two camps, it could have been word goes out, who is this, you know, reward for the son of Jesse, who knows. Yes, Eileen. I mean, and just the way it accounts for Nabal, I mean, 
There is nothing flattering about this guy at all that's portrayed. His name means fool. He's from a, a Calebite, which is from Caleb. The name Caleb is dog, basically, in the Hebrew. Um, he's mean. He's surly. He's foolish. I mean, there's just nothing good said about him. And, and so, yeah, the guy is just not a nice person. And it doesn't, everyone knows it. In fact, so much so, it's accounted in Scripture for all life. Imagine, this is, this is your legacy. This is what you were known for, this event. How crazy. Yeah, I mean, this would have been terrible having on his resume, especially when he became king. Aren't you the one who killed all these people who are now part of your kingdom? That doesn't look well. Yes, Lola. And it's interesting that God always works through human beings. Saved the world through Noah, okay, through Abraham, David is going to be the line, through Abigail here. God is always doing a work through Moses, through people. That's how he accomplishes his will, by people willing to yield. And that's the amazing thing. That's the incredible thing. Um, I was reading someone had written something that bothered me. Um, that happens a lot. I, I read things that bother me that takes away the importance of the things that we do because although God is moving and accomplishing those things, it takes an Abigail to say, oh, I've got to act quickly and respond. No doubt she was acting prompted by the character of God, by the mercies of God, all those things, characteristics of what God is and who he is, but God uses people. And it was this woman, Abigail, that changed the turn of events. And God is always doing that. He's going to accomplish those things, but he will look for a person who's willing. Not violate their will, but use those who are willing. Yeah, he knew she was smart. You know, she's going to know what to do. That's what was talked about. He could have just took off. I'm out of here. But, yeah. Very good. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And what she said, too, about Esther just reminded me of something that was in my notes that I lost between the house and here today. Um, Esther and Rachel are the only other two women that are mentioned with this description of being beautiful, which I thought was interesting. And so she was kind of tied in with Rachel and Esther as being beautiful. Sarah was talked about being distinct, which implied the beauty, but Esther and Rachel were the two women in Scripture that are given the same description as... <laughs> How do you really feel, Ashley? <laughs> Anything else? Well, let's pray, because there's some peach cobbler in there that's calling your name. <laughs> Father, may we take the, to heart the lessons in this chapter. And Lord, you are always speaking. You are always working. You worked at this time in David's life through the servant and through Abigail. You are working in our lives through other people around us. Father, may we hear your voice. May we not be wicked and not hear anyone. May we be people of conscience people of sensitivity to 
you're leading, you're directing, you're working. And Father, we thank you again for loving us, for caring for us, and showing us the mercy you have through your Son. And it's in his name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.